book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, reading verse 9. Have you found it? Would you say amen? amen? Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. I'll read that again. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Let us pray. Dear Lord of the harvest, grant to your servant the anointing for preaching. We ask that you would grant to your servant the affection for preaching. Grant to your servant, Father, the unction of preaching so that thy people might be convicted and converted and comforted and we ask these favors in your precious name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Many years ago in the islands, three men went out on a fishing trip. One of the men was always uh, the one who wanted to share the catch at the end of the day. But he was also known for making his portion bigger than everyone else's. And so that evening when the man returned from the fishing trip, no one was surprised when this certain man volunteered to share the catch of the day. He made three portions. He placed one portion between his legs, making it clear that he was claiming that as his share, as his own. But it was quite evident that that portion was bigger than all of the rest. After he was finished, he said, draw. And to his amazement, the man sitting right next to him reached over and took the portion that was between the other man's leg. And this man was so angry that he did not get the portion he wanted. He got up and left everything in the boat. Now, as we focus our attention on the text that we have before us tonight, I would like to speak to you from this topic, the Lord's portion, the Lord's portion. As we discuss the Lord's portion, there is one thing I want you to keep in mind, and that is the Lord's portion is both inclusive and exclusive. The Lord's portion is inclusive in that the scripture plainly declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And so in a very real way, everything, everything that has ever been created belongs to our God. But the Lord's portion is also exclusive in that our Lord has gone a step further to set aside for himself a special group of people who are referred to here as his portion. In every dispensation, God has reserved unto himself a portion. And that portion has always been a people who are totally consecrated to God 
and he can do with them whatever he wants to do. They are consecrated to him. They are his people. Now I suppose the big question that we have got to answer tonight is this. How does the Lord lay claim to his portion? I suggest to you that the Lord utilizes a threefold method in laying claim to his portion. First of all, the Lord's portion is claimed simply by his choice. One of the great mysteries of scripture is centered around those whom God has chosen for his portion. God was never satisfied to have his portion with the beautiful landscape and the majestic mountains. God was never content to dwell with the animals that roam in the wild, nor with the fishes that swim in the deep. God was never pleased to make his portion with the birds that fly in the air nor with the angels that surround his throne. But God has chosen his portion from among men, man with blood and bone, man with faults and failures, man with spirit and soul. God initiated the relationship with man by extending both hands in love. In the Gospel of John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus tells us, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Ephesians 1 and 4 confirms God's choice with these words. According as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame and before him in love. Then 1 Peter 2 and 9 further affirms, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth his praise or the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My, My friends, of all God's creation, man has the greatest potential of either putting a smile on God's face or a tear in God's eyes. And this is simply because God has chosen man for his portion. We are special to God. We are the apples of his eyes. Now we must keep in mind that the reason God chose humanity is a question that only he can answer. But one thing is certain, it's that the way God makes his choices up is quite different from the way the world makes its choices. In order for one to be chosen by the world's standard, he must not just be good at what he does, but he must be exceptionally good. 
But I'm just thankful that God did not choose his portion based on their goodness. Because if he had, if he had, you and I could not have been chosen. The scripture tells us that um, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then it went on to say we were all like sheep uh, going astray. Each one to his own way. The Bible also makes it clear that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. An old Jewish fable claims that when God was about to create man, he called into his council the angels that stood around his throne. Create him not, said the angel of justice, for he will commit all kinds of wickedness against his fellow man. He will be hard and cruel and dishonest and unrighteous. Create him not. Create him not, said the angel of truth, for he will be false and deceitful unto his brother man. Even unto thee create him not. Create him not, said the angel of holiness, for he will follow that which is impure in thy sight and dishonor thee to thy face. Create him not. But then the angel of mercy stepped forward and said, Create him, O our God. For when he sins and turns from the path of right and truth and holiness, I will take him by the hand and lead him back to thee. Mercy prevailed that day and man was created. Folks, God didn't choose us in spite of our humanity, but God chose us because of our humanity. Have you ever heard anyone use their humanity as an excuse for their sins? You would hear them say, well, I admit that I did that thing that was wrong. But after all, I'm, I'm simply human. I'm just human. What they are saying is that their problem is their humanity. Oh, my dear friend, don't let anyone tell you that man's problem is his humanity. When God created man, he created a perfect human being. And he celebrated over what he had made. Man in his humanity is all that God intended for him to be. Therefore, man's problem is not his humanity. Man's problem is his depravity. Man is depraved by sin. God knew what he was getting when he chose man for his portion, but he chose us anyway. He chose us anyway. You see, God knows that where we are weak, he is strong. Where we are defeated, he is victorious. Where we are sinful, he is holy, and he is able to make us holy. He wants to make us holy. Dr. D Dr. S. M. Lockridge, that gifted Baptist preacher once said, you can have your pockets full of pearls, but you will never have a necklace until you get a string. 
You see, God knows that he is the string that holds man's lives together. Without him, folks, we cannot make it. We cannot make it. Regardless of what some doctrines are teaching today, teaching that only a certain number of people are chosen by God, regardless of what they are teaching, we can uh, have certainty that there has never been a person born that was not chosen by God. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is where God's portion is all inclusive. God has chosen you. He has chosen me. The question is, have we chosen him? Have we chosen him? The Lord's portion is not just claimed simply by his choice. But I suggest to you that the Lord's portion is claimed superbly by his conquest. Superbly by his conquest. Ever since God created man, Satan has tried to steal him away from God. When Adam and Eve fell through disobedience, Satan was given a foothold in the heart of man which he has determined not to let go of without a fight to the death. Our Lord demonstrated his desire to free man from Satan's stranglehold with the promise that in the fullness of time he will send one born of a woman who would confront Satan on his own turf and would deliver a death blow to his head, setting the captive free. I am so thankful that that promise is fulfilled. Amen. Christ the Savior has come and has given his life to redeem lost men. The old devil did whatever he could to stop Jesus from going to the cross. He did not want Jesus to go to Calvary because he knew that was where the decisive battle for the salvation of man would be fought. Satan tried to kill Jesus during the temptation in the wilderness by challenging him to jump to his death from the pinnacle of the temple. But Jesus stood firmly on the word of God and the old devil lost that battle. Satan tried to kill Jesus on the mountainside by inciting a menacing mob to push him down a steep cliff. But Jesus escaped through their midst and the old devil lost that battle. Satan tried to kill Jesus with the whip by a Roman soldier in Pilate's judgment hall. But even though Jesus was beaten up until his back was threads of flesh and the blood ran freely from his body as a result of that terrible scorching, a scorching, by the way, that would have killed many a man. Yet that burly Roman soldier fell away exhausted, but Jesus was still alive, and the old devil had lost another battle. He could not kill Jesus by making him jump to his death from the pinnacle of the temple. 
He could not kill Jesus by having him pushed down a steep mountainside. He could not kill Jesus by having him whipped to death in Pilate's judgment hall. But there was one more arrow left in the hand of the old devil. And it was that sharp arrow of the cross which he flung at Jesus with all his might. As Jesus made his way up that steep, rugged hill of Calvary, struggling under the weight of that rugged cross, he knew that he was about to be given the opportunity for which he had been fighting ever since he came to earth. That was the opportunity to die for lost mankind. From that elevated position on Calvary's hill, our Savior cried out with a loud voice, It is finished! Oh, my friends, those were not words of defeat and death, but those were words of victory and life. The battle was won. The enemy was vanquished. Jesus is victor. Finally, the power of sin and Satan is broken. Satan has lost his claim over man. Man is brought back to his rightful master. But oh, what a battle it was. It was indescribable anguish that our Lord Jesus suffered that day. He received deep wounds that left eternal scars in his sacred body. He died the most gruesome of death, but in death he conquered. In death, my friends, Christ won the conquest for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Here we are still in the realm of the all-inclusive. Jesus died for everyone. We are the Lord's portion this evening by his conquest. Finally, the Lord's portion is not just claimed simply by his choice and superbly by his conquest, but I propose to you that the Lord's portion is claimed supremely by his cleansing. Supremely by his cleansing. Now this is where we move from the realm of the all-inclusive to the realm of the exclusive. When God chose us for his portion, we had no vote in that decision. But we were all chosen. When God defeated Satan in that great conquest on Calvary's cross, we had no part in that battle, but we all shared in the victory. However, when it comes to our cleansing, when it comes to our cleansing, we are given some responsibilities. God has brought us into this arrangement at the most crucial juncture. Our action can either complete God's redemptive plan or it can render it void and ineffective in our lives. You are aware that sin has stained every one of us to the very core of our being. 
There is not one among us who has escaped the pollution of sin. The outlook for every one of us was bleak. We were all destined to die an untimely death by sin. Thus there is an urgent need for cleansing. But thank God there is a remedy. Thank God there is a bomb in Gilead. There is a physician there. There is a crimson fountain flowing from the side of Jesus Christ our Savior. That is efficacious to cleanse away the vilest of sin. Robert Laurie got it right when he asked this question. What can wash away my sins? And then he answered it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My dear friends, Christ's death on the cross has provided the only means whereby we can be cleansed from our sins and claimed as his own. When Jacob was dying, he called his 12 sons before him and he gave each of them a blessing. But when he came to Joseph, he gave him one extra portion than his brethren. It was the portion Jacob had got with his bow and arrow out of the hand of the enemy. One of these days, the Lord Jesus, that great conqueror, will present an extra portion to the Lord. And it will be of those he has rescued from the hands of Satan by his death and washed with his blood. We can all be washed clean of our every sin but we have got to take a dip we have got to take a dip into that crimson fountain and so the question I would like to ask this evening is this have you made that decision as yet that is to take a dip into that crimson fountain have you been washed clean of your sins as yet have you chosen have you been chosen by God through the cleansing of the blood of your son Jesus if there is anyone here this evening who cannot answer yes to all of those questions I want you to know that you can tonight you can tonight